Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Acts, chapter 13. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Because we see that happening a lot, where people are just being immature and things don't go their way. It could be that Mark bails when things start to get rough and things don't go his way. And maybe there's, the pressure is on and now, you know, he wants to run home. That's possible. We need to be mindful of that. But at the same time, also be mindful that God uses discontentment and disagreement to further the ministry, saints. You understand? Say amen. amen. Very, very important. Now, we need to thank God for people like Barnabas. We need to thank God for the Barnabases of the world because Barnabas was a man who reconciled people. Barnabas was a man who would seek to restore people. And Barnabas got his cousin Mark and took him in the ministry. And it's very interesting because when Mark went home to Jerusalem, Barnabas could have said, you know what, that's it, man. We can't use you anymore. But he didn't do that. God didn't do that. God wanted to use, use uh, Mark. And, and, you know, we, we talk about that God is the God of a, of, of a second chance. Well, I believe God is the God of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance, the fifth chance. I believe God is a God of many chances. Amen, saints? And God is giving Mark another chance. He has given him another chance because obviously Mark comes back from Jerusalem to Antioch. And it's there that Barnabas kind of picks up with him and travels in the ministry. Somehow we know that Mark and Peter kind of join ministry together. And around that time, Mark, this is the same Mark who wrote the gospel of Mark. Think if God had given up on him, we would never have the gospel of Mark, which is a beautiful, beautiful gospel, by the way. It's short, sweet, and a beautiful gospel. So God continues to use him. Now, Barnabas is also a reconciler because even at the end of Paul's ministry, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, Paul is ready to die. And in 2 Timothy 4, Paul says, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because Mark is useful to me in the ministry. Isn't that beautiful? That's just beautiful. At the end of Paul's life, he reconciled with Mark. And he says, bring Mark, because he's useful for the ministry. There's healing and there's reconciliation. Now, let me tell you something that you might not know. In the Roman world, in the time in which Acts 13 was written, particularly in Perga, in Pamphylia, this area was known as an area that was filled with pirates, thieves, bandits, malaria, This was a malaria-infested area. Now, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 13 through 15, I have that on the screen for you. It says, you know 
that because of physical infirmity, and I believe that Paul is talking about malaria, this malaria that maybe affected his eyes, because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at first. And my trial, temptation, and testing, and sickness, which was in my flesh, you did not despise or reject. But you received me as an angel of God, even as Christ Jesus. What then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible, this is what Paul says, and this is why many believe that this malaria affected his eyes, that he's had some kind of eye sores. He says, if possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Now, I want you to notice something about this text. Notice Paul says, because of the physical infirmity. In other words, listen, this is very important. In the Greek construction of this text, it literally reads or literally means because of the sickness, because of the illness, God used the sickness, God used the illness so that I would come to this area to preach the gospel. I'm going to say that again in case you were asleep. He says, Paul says, because of the sickness, because of the illness, God used the sickness and the illness to cause me to come to that area to preach the gospel. Now listen, I bring this to your attention because there are people who will tell you, if you're a saint, you should never be sick. You ever heard that? If you're a saint... You should never be sick. Christians should never be sick. Listen, the Bible is filled with people who got sick. Elisha, we know in 2 Kings chapter 13, was sick and depressed. And his sickness led to death. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, was sick, which led to his death. Paul told Timothy, Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Because Timothy has sickness. Listen, if you're a believer, you are going to get sick at some time. Listen, you're going to get a cold. That's why they call it the common cold. Somebody say amen. amen. And I'm amazed at how people want to preach and tell you that you should never be sick a day. If you're sick, that's a lack of faith and sin on your part. And yet the next week they'll preach a sermon about God being a healer. Well, listen, if you know God is a healer, then you must have been sick at some time. This is not rocket science work, people. How can he heal you if you've never been sick? But they go, oh, no, Christians are never to be sick. Listen, some most wonderful, wonderful people. I don't even have time. I want to read you a story, but I don't have time. They're wonderful people, particularly Joni Erickson Tata, wonderful woman of God who is sick. God can use sickness for his glory. God can use sickness for his glory. Listen, everyone's going to get sick. Someday, everyone's going to leave the planet. Whether you get sick and leave the planet, or you get hit by a car and leave the planet, or you get hit by a train and leave the planet. This is a really uplifting message, isn't it? You're going to be killed, people. 
somehow, some way, God's plan and purpose, he's going to take you home. He's going to use something or you just go to sleep at night and you don't wake up. Something is going to take you home. God's sovereignty, God's plan and choice of how that happens is between God and God. But the reality is you're going to leave the planet someday and maybe sickness will take you off the earth. But the point is, is that if you get sick, then glorify God even while you're sick. You talk about Joni Erickson Tata, a wonderful woman. You know that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. That was written by a lady named Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby was blind from six weeks old of her life. And she was a beautiful, beautiful, godly woman who, who, who glorified God even in her blindness. And when asked where, she, you know, why did God give her, you know, give her blindness and gave everyone else sight? She said, I would rather be blind all of my days here on earth because the first face when I'm in the presence of God, the first face that shall gladden my heart will be the face of Jesus. Some preacher answered that question. Amen. Amen. I'll wait. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But we need to glorify God even if... Are are you sick here? Now, look. Do I believe in supernatural healing? Absolutely, positively. God can do whatever God wants to do. That, my friend, is what makes him God. He does whatever he wants. I tell people... Christianity 101, got to learn this, God is God, and you're not him. Right. Amen. Amen. God is God, and let him be God. And whatever he chooses, he is right. Whatever he says, it is good. Whatever he does, it's just. And it's beautiful, because he is God. Well, look at verse 14. See, I told you all ain't praying. I told you. But when they departed in verse 14 from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia, and they went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and they sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, let's hear it. Now, he's talking to Paul and Barnabas. Remember, now, I want you to understand something. See, in the synagogue in those days, they didn't have a half hour praise and worship, and they didn't have, you know, some of the things we have in church today. In the synagogue in those days, they would open in with a scripture and with a daily reading, and then the ruler of the synagogue would sit down and expound the text. Oftentimes, in those days, if a teacher was there to teach, the teacher would sit down and teach, and the people would stand and listen, which I like that model. I sit down. Y'all stand up. We got it backward in the church today, man. But oftentimes, that's how they would do it. So Barnabas now, you got to understand that Barnabas and Paul, they come in the midst of, in this, in this synagogue, and Barnabas is a Levite, and Saul of Tarsus was a student of Gamaliel. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was a rabbi. So you got to understand when these guys in the synagogue see Barnabas and, and Paul walk in the door, these guys are honored guests. And so they said, hey, you guys got anything to say? And I'm thinking Paul was thinking, 
boy, do I have something to say. That's why he came there. Now, I want you to look at verse 16 through verse 41, because in verse 16 through 41, this is the first recorded sermon by Paul. Notice in verse 16, Paul stood up motioning with his hands, and then he begins to preach. He says, fellas, listen up. And the thing you want to notice here is that he traces the history of the Jewish people from the beginning through the deliverance of Egypt through the wilderness wandering, right through Judges and Samuel. And the interesting thing about this, listen, give me your attention. If you take the time to read Acts chapter 7, you will see that Acts chapter 7, Stephen, the first martyr of the church, his sermon sounds a whole lot like Acts chapter 13, Paul's sermon, which tells me that Paul would steal Stephen's sermon stuff. It's right there. Ain't nothing wrong with it. Paul, would you see, remember, remember Timothy, Paul told Timothy, Timothy, commit these things unto faithful men. Listen, if you hear something that I preach or something that I say, please, by all means, take it and go use it. I've had people ask me, is it okay that I take this and say this and whatever, whatever? Look, take it. I remember I told you before, this one brother came up to me after service one time, and I preached a sermon. He was going to a prison ministry that afternoon, and he asked me, could I preach? He comes up and says, can I preach that sermon in the prison today? And I said to him, well, sure. I came up in the pulpit. I, I popped and gave him my notes. I said, here, take this. I said, hey, be blessed. Take it. Preach it, man. Preach it. Preach it, bro. I said, be blessed. Preach it. I pray you do really well with it. Well, he comes back. He says, Pastor Rodney, thank you so much for that sermon. It was so awesome. Thank you so much. And I said, good. Did it go well? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it did. I, I, man, I, I preached it better than you did. <laughs> yeah, he did. I said, no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. I said, get out. And by the way, don't ask me for another sermon. Oh, yeah, I preach better than you did. I don't care. Take it. It's not mine. Any sermon that any man of God or woman of God were to share or whatever God's put in their heart, a sermon is made up of many things, guys. It's made up of life. It's made up of newspaper articles and illustrations and God's word, of course, and, and, and prayer and things that God shows you. And nothing is so deep and nothing is so hidden where, you know, you can't preach it. You know, people act like today that they're getting a word from God. And it's the word that only they get. It's like this deep revelation. Watch this, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. God is speaking, 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 speaking. To me, 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 me. And you know, it's like all oh, this deep oh, revelation. Listen, lighten up. It's not that deep. And if it's that deep, I don't even want to know it because I'll probably drown because you already are drowning. It's not that deep. Commit these things. Timothy, don't come up with anything new. Don't be innovative. And don't be trying to come up with new stuff and deep stuff and stuff nobody ever heard and stuff nobody can get because you got it because it's just you and God. Don't do that. Timothy, just give them the stuff I'm giving you and hopefully, prayerfully, they'll go give it to somebody else. Paul is stealing Stephen's sermon stuff. And it's all good. And we're going to read it real quick. 
Look at verse 17. You're there. Say amen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers. He goes on to preach. Now, men of Israel, listen up. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt with an uplifted arm, and he brought them out of it. Now for a time, about 40 years, he put up with their ways. Did you ever think about that? God put up with the people when they were in the wilderness. They were frustrating and annoying. And God in his grace put up with them. Look at that. While they were in the wilderness, and when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges. See how I was trekking through the Old Testament? Now he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave him Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he, God, had removed him He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do my will. You know what made David a man after God's own heart? Real simple. David never changed gods. David never changed gods. You might remember Saul was half-hearted since the beginning. Solomon had 300 wives and 700 concubines, which I will never understand a thousand wives. The alimony. It's amazing how much that was a month. And Saul, he changed God's man because he erected idolatrous altars around Jerusalem. But David, here's why. It doesn't, the Bible never says David was perfect. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David, Dave, David was a bad father. You're talking about dysfunctional family. It was that David's family was like a textbook picture of a dysfunctional family. But, but David was a man after God's heart, not because he was perfect, but because he never changed God's. David, throughout all of his sin, David worshiped one God. David sinned before one God. David was broken before his God. David repented before his God in his highs and in his lows, in his mountains and in his valleys. David didn't turn away from the one true and only God. And that is what made David a man after God's own heart. Because he didn't change God. And so the Bible says, he's a man after my own heart. And from this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a savior. What's his name, saints? Jesus. And after John the Baptist, after John had preached, uh, first preached before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you, who do you think I am? I am? I am not he, but behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to lose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, having fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they have found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should put Jesus to death. And when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the wood. The Greek word is exulon, X-U-L-O-N. They took him down from the tree, the wood, 
and they laid him in a tomb. But in verse 30, saints, read it with me. But God raised him from the dead, and he was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee into Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written. And now Paul starts quoting scriptures to confirm what he has already said. He's now quoting, you are my son from the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that he has raised him in verse 34 from the dead. No more to return to corruption. In other words, he will never be dead again. He has spoken thus. Isaiah 55 verse 3. I will give you the trustworthy, sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another Psalm 1610, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. And he saw corruption, but he whom God raised up saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Saints, underline that in your neighbor's Bible. The forgiveness of sin is man's greatest need. Not prosperity, not healing. In Jesus' name, this is the message that is preached, the forgiveness of sins. This is a message that can be preached in any place at any time. That's why you know it's the gospel. Because the gospel message can be preached to black people, to white people, to Israeli people to Indian people, to all kinds of people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message that is for all people. But when you invent your own gospel of prosperity, well, you can't preach that gospel in India. Why? Because they have no money. You can't preach the message of if you're sick, you're in sin. Because in many third, fourth, fifth world countries, Many people are sick. Malaria-infested villages, I've preached the gospel in them and done medical clinics in them in India. And there are many people sick. But the forgiveness of sin, here's my point. The message of the forgiveness of sins is a message for all people. And you should be glad about that. You could tell that to anybody, anywhere, on any planet, in any corner of the earth, that Jesus died. To forgive us of our sins. And Jesus died to justify us, to cleanse us from our past, our present, and our future sins. And that's what Paul goes on to say. He's preached to you forgiveness. And by him in verse 39, everyone who believes is what, saints? Justified. Justified. Man, Paul likes to use this word. By the way, this is the first time Paul used the word justified ever. And he won't stop using it as you study the epistles because he knows he was a persecutor and a blasphemer and he caused people to blaspheme the church. And he understood this whole aspect in, of justification from which you could not be justified by the law. You can't be justified by keeping the law, saints. You know, people want to keep the Sabbath. I'm a Sabbath keeper. Can't be justified by it. Beware, therefore, in verse 40, lest what has been spoken 
in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days. He's quoting Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. I bet you they're sitting there and their mouths are hanging open. They're like, wow. Now remember, he's preaching this sermon and he doesn't have any notes in front of him. He's just standing there preaching right from the top of his head. He knows the word. He's been studying for 14 years. And now God's using him mightily. He's talking about justification. Saints, we are justified. Saints, we as believers are not condemned. Turn to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. I'm going to close with this. Because I got to close. I don't want to close. But I got to close. Romans chapter 8. Turn there real quick. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Justified. No longer condemned. Romans 8, 1. You there? And uh, I want you to read verse 1 with me, would you? Ready? Read. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We are not condemned, saints. No condemnation. Why? Because we're justified. What's that? You might want to think of it like this. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means. The blood of Jesus cleanses us and justifies us never to remember our sin anymore. For that, Rodney, you have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch and Calvary Chapel Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's one 800 293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the media library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.